0: easy be Excellence in Christian
1: Good afternoon, folks. Thank you for tuning in to Talking It Through Biblically once again. We truly appreciate your being with us today and trust that you will choose to be an active participant by calling in with your comments and questions a little later on in the program. We'll give you the numbers in a little while again. Today we have two interesting and vitally important issues to discuss. In fact, we've discussed them last week as well, and one of them in particular. One which has become, and in fact has been, the topic of all of the talk shows this past week. And some very passionate and heated discussions have occurred, to say the least. I'm speaking, of course, about the proposed amendments to the Sexual Offensive Act, to make spousal rape a criminal offense and thus far I will also be talking about the little discussed communications bill by thus far I mean not so much has been spoken about this yet the communications bill I believe this could pose another threat to the proclamation of the gospel and freedom of speech in general I'm not really a prophet but I predict that this issue will become the next hot-button item in the media and the talk show in, in the days ahead. And in fact, this is why I will make it the main focus of our discussion today. Because it has not been focused upon, and it is so important. And these two themes, I think, and all having to do with bills in the House, either one already passed, one seeking to be amended, uh, impact the Christian and also the church in general. Now, I am pleased to have as our special guest, Mr. Brian Murray, senior partner of McKinney, Bancroft & Hughes Law Firm, one of the oldest and most prestigious legal corporation in our nation. I'm trusting that he will be able to get away from his very busy schedule and to join us today. Because in addition to his theological acumen, seeing that he is an ardent believer and a teacher of our adult uh, Bible classes here at Calvary Bible Church, Mr. Murray is, of course, a seasoned lawyer, an expert in all that is legal, and acutely aware of any laws or proposed laws that impact the Bible and the Christian's faith and practice. I'm sure that we will profit much from his experience, his wisdom and knowledge this afternoon. So let's pray that he's able to make it. But as usual, what we're going to do is we are going to share together in prayer first. Then I will lay a foundation, as it were, for our discussions by pointing out some of the salient factors relative to the topics under discussion from a biblical perspective. We will then have a break for the news at 5 p.m., and then we will open the lines for your participation. That is the uh, intended schedule for this afternoon's show. So please, join me in a time of prayer at this time. Father, once again, we thank you for your continued love and grace and mercy showered so abundantly upon us on an ongoing, consistent basis. You are a good God. You are a forgiving God. You are a gracious God. You are faithful. You are the only true and living God. Beside you there is none other And so we bow before you today in humble adoration of who you are and submission to your authority, your majesty and your power. We thank you for the privilege of living in this beautiful country. Thank you for the land which you have given to us. We thank you for all the beauty that is around that demonstrates your wisdom and your grace towards us. We thank you for the people, the people who make up this country and for the most part with a desire to be a God-fearing people. Although our Father in recent years we realize that the God-fearing aspect has been diminished quite a bit. But We come before you today praying that through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the godly living of those who are righteous that we might see it turn around and your people of this nation will once again turn their hearts Toward God, Lord, we pray that You will bring about in this country a real diminishing of the violence and the immorality, the lack of godliness that we see all around us. We pray that we might see discipline and courtesy on the part of our young people. We pray that we will see a model life on the part of our parents. our pastors, our prophets, our teachers, our elders, our deacons, all those who profess the name of Jesus Christ, we pray that we will see a true modeling of what it means to be a person who's been regenerated by the Spirit of God and seeking to have the Spirit of God live the life of Christ in and through us. We pray for our government as structured in your word that they will come to place faith in the only mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So that they will rule this country in a God honoring way, unselfishly seeking to help those who are needy, the oppressed, and those who are um, without means of support, um, and provide protection for those who keep the law from those who do not keep the law. And Father, we just pray that we might be a people who seek to live righteous lives we might uplift this country in righteousness rather than be known for our sin and our immorality. As we discuss these issues today that impact your people, your word, your church, we pray for wisdom, we pray for discernment, we pray that we might have um, knowledge shared from your word as well as uh, worthwhile experiences so that those who listen might be able to profit from this time together. And we pray for those who are ill at this time in hospital as well, Father, at home, the shut-ins. We ask a special blessing upon them. We pray that they might experience your presence and your hand of comfort and um, peace to rest upon them today and to bring healing and relief from pain and discomfort that any might be experiencing in this time. May they truly realize that you are God and you are there to provide the help and sustenance that they require. And we pray, Lord, that all of our experiences, both positive and negative, may be used to bring us into a closer relationship with you. Thank you for this time together, then. May you be glorified. We pray in the name of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, with regards to the proposal to make spousal rape a criminal offense, I want to repeat several principles or points I have previously made. I have made them on other uh, talk shows, I've also made them here last week as well. Just some broad general principles and I want to re-emphasize these uh, because of what I've I've heard being expressed on the various talk shows throughout the week. There's so many different points of views, some are really great, solid, biblical, others are really unsound, unbiblical, and just, uh, people just as we say, shooting off the lip, but we need that at times as well. But we pray that as we discuss these things today, we want to focus on, uh, we want to do so in a more reasoned, biblical way. It's not to argue in any form or fashion but rather to see how we can edify and build up one another and shed some light on these uh, uh, government-sponsored bills that impact not only the nation in general but also the church and the believer in particular and so we need wisdom here we need to see how the Spirit of God can enable us as believers to be able to uh, uh, properly and uh, balance our responsibility to God and our responsibility to government. But regards to this proposal to make spousal rape a criminal offense, that means, of course, up to this point, uh, and of course this bill, this has not passed yet, it's just a proposed, a minim, uh, proposed amendment to the current law. And right now, uh, there's no such thing as spousal rape in, in our in our books. But this amendment is intended to bring that about, to make make uh, um, the forced uh, sexual relationship between husband and wife a criminal offense. Um, that's the, the the objective of this bill. And it is done so also with the motivation uh, from the United Nations, for instance, who, of course, now uh, uh, intending and has as its purpose to make all the nations of the world to conform, to be the same, and they want to have one type of law throughout. That's generally speaking of course. And That in itself of course is a problem for me because I believe that we need to realize that all that our people, our nations are different. We're talking about globalization and all becoming one and so on, and we're trying to do away with individuality, not only of individual people but also individual nations and the ethnicity of different peoples and traditions and everything. Believe it or not, you might, you might say this is extreme, but it isn't. We're on our way of trying to make one culture, one social order around the world. And we have to be very careful for this. And I think our government have to be careful as well because many of these um, uh, laws and changes are um, tied to receiving financial support for social programs and whatnot in our nation, which are needed of course sometimes we have to be careful that we don't sell our soul in trying to help our bodies. But let me make a couple of comments here as we um, wait for the anticipated uh, arrival of our guest. First of all, theologically speaking, the amendment to, um, uh, to make spousal rape a criminal offense touches upon the very essence of marriage. We cannot Uh, we cannot overlook this fact. It touches upon the very essence of marriage. And speaking now from a biblical point of view. You see biblical teachings for instance concerning the one flesh principle of husband and wife is impacted. How do we understand that biblical concept in light of this proposed amendment? But secondly, so is the principle that the primary purpose of marriage, not the only one by any means, but a primary one nonetheless the principle that a man should have his own wife and a woman should have her own husband to have their God ordained sexual needs met to avoid fornication and to have children who are sanctified by the marriage union because the Bible tells us that sex within the bonds of the marriage bed is pure and undefiled. Another way, in other words, God has set up a universal principle for the God-given sexual needs and desires of a human being to be met and that is husband and wife relationship. That avoids fornication which is contrary to the will of God. It also makes it possible for children to be sanctified as a result of that marriage relationship other outside of that the children are regarded as not being as, as regarded as being illegitimate but within the marriage the children are sanctified as in the sense because of their uh... having come about as a result of relationship between a husband and wife a, m- a man and a woman who have committed themselves to one another for life that's a principle that we see here God has ordained it for that purpose, to avoid fornication. Now in this regard, and this is why it's so important for us to see this, the biblical teaching that the meeting of the sexual needs of both mates is to be an ongoing, consistent marital experience in the spirit of loving agreement, which is only to be interrupted by mutual consent, is also at issue. And this is one of the basic teachings of the marital relationship. That the sexual needs of both mates is to be an ongoing, consistent experience on their part. It is to be regarded, and First Corinthians 7 is very clear on this, as a necessary part of the marriage life. Now, that's not the only one, mind you, but it is a primary one anyway, and it's to avoid all other kinds of sins. And it is only to be interrupted by mutual consent according to scripture. Now of course this implies that the mates, spouses, are concerned and committed to obeying the Word of God, the living according to the Word of God. Alright? But it's a a basic principle here. When that is done, then these needs are met and each partner does it with mutual agreement and there is no force, coercion, or anything. It's done gladly. It has it shows a context of mutual agreement and treating one another as equal. And that is really an important truth. Uh, Paul teaches us; Peter teaches this as well. But another principle is also an issue. And that is that the above principles apply only to those who are committed, as I said, to following and obeying the Word of God. If followed, that is, the, the, the commands as given and the directions given in the word of God, especially verse his and 7, not only that, but especially, if followed, spouses would not be subject to the laws of men. You see, another principle is involved here. The law is only for those who break the law. By, when I say only for those, it only applies to those who break the law. Thou shalt not steal only affects those who steal, as far as punishment is concerned. If you are an honest person, this law does not affect you. The same thing is true here. We're talking now here about principles given by God, the Holy Spirit, in his word. We're assuming that those who are committed to God, who are true believers and want to honor and please him, will follow the word of God. And so these laws really have no effect. Now, let me explain that. The penalties of the law are only for those who break the law, not for those who keep the law, does not who do not break the law. Paul teaches this very clearly in the book of Romans and also in Galatians. Obedient Christians should not fear the law, should not fear those who enforce the law. In fact, they should embrace it as a means of protecting them from lawbreakers. I think that's a very important point to make when we are discussing this. You see, because uh, uh, it's important for us to understand that we as Christians are to be obeying in the word of God. And when those laws are breaking, broken, God has other means within the context of the, of the family of God to deal with those things through discipline of some form or whatever it is, but there are ways for it to be done. But now having said that, there's also responsibility of government to protect its citizens from those who break the law. So, legally or politically speaking, I'm trying to show a balance here now, legally or politically speaking, the government is obligated to punish lawbreakers. That's their primary purpose. And by the way, as an aside, I think most governments have forgotten that. There are tremendous social needs that must be met. but. That is not the primary purpose of government, meeting social needs of people. It is to protect the people from evildoers and from law breakers. So legally or politically speaking, the government is obligated to punish lawbreakers, those who do evil and seek to harm others. So making a law like this is not in itself wrong. The government should be careful to provide the means by which those who break the law could be punished. All citizens In fact, non-citizens as well, both male and female, men and women, husband and wives, fathers, mothers and children, must be provided with the assurance that anyone who does harm to them will be punished. Wives need to have that assurance that if husbands go to such an extreme that they commit violence, that they will be punished. However, for the believer in Christ, He or she also lives under the principle and guidance that if man's law is contrary to the clearly revealed will and word of God, then they must obey God rather than man. But they must also then subject themselves to the punishment that will result as a consequence to to their violations of the law of, of the land." You understand what I'm saying? As Christians. We are subject to both the law of God and the law of man. But when they come into conflict, if the law of man comes into conflict with the law of God, then the believer in Christ is compelled to obey the law of God. However, he must then be willing to face the law of the land and pay the consequences as well. They go together hand in hand and so this brings into play the role of the Christian in the making of laws and I think this is very important for us now when we come to uh, thinking about this amendment to uh, uh, to the sexual offense act the role of the Christian in the making of the laws listen carefully now believe in Christ your voice should and must be heard in these discussions, in the town meetings, in the talk shows, letters to the editors, other public forums that seek to make or amend laws that affect the citizens of the Bahamas. As a believer in Christ, as an individual member of the church, the body of Christ, your voice should be heard. As the salt of the earth, you must shake and spread yourself into every area and facet of our society. As the light of the world, you must shine the knowledge of God's word into every dark corner of our culture." We cannot wait for the institutional church to do it. That's not the way it is designed. God is not working through an institution, a, a business organization called the church. No, he's working through the church made up of individual believers. And wherever you are in your community, in, the, in your society, your voice must be heard. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Now, we could say much more concerning this particular bill. Much has been said already. But after we come back from our break, in, in a few minutes, uh, we trust we will hear from you. But I want to switch to focus a little bit now because I think we've had And we're not done with it, of course, but we've had quite a bit of exposure to the sexual offense amendment. But now I want to draw our attention to the Communications Bill. I understand that it has already gone into effect, and we haven't really heard anybody discussing it. This is what amazes me. I understood that it has taken effect since the first of August. This bill, the Communications Bill, has the potential, I believe, Of curbing free speech if we do not watch it carefully. It also has the potential of curbing the public expressions of one's faith and of actually making even the reading of the Word of God that condemns homosexuality a criminal offense. That's right my friends, it has the potentiality of doing this. It has a section in the bill, now it deals with all kinds of, uh, of uh, things related to the media, to the TV, the radio, and how what you're supposed to, um, to, um, to do and not to do, and so on. But there is a section there that is commonly referred to as hate speech clause, a hate speech clause. Now, it not called that a cause in the bill, but that's how it's normally discussed in other places where it has come about and it is done through in most of the nations of the world now. Now, this hate speech clause originally was introduced to pacify and assure certain religious groups such as Islam and special interest groups such as gays that no one will be able to say anything about them that would condemn their activities or even speech. That was the purpose for it. This has met of course with much opposition wherever it has been introduced, and even now, in fact, and I'm just doing uh, some research on this particular issue, the European Union is embroiled in a debate of the inclusion of such a clause in its agreement that are meant to be enforced upon all of its members. The European Union. In, in fact, by the way, uh, this um, this bill, hate, hate speech bill, was first introduced uh, uh, in the... the um, uh, the union of uh, I'm, I'm, it, it slips my mind now. I'm sorry about that. United Nations. It was introduced in the United Nations by the Islamic people in there, simply to give the assurance that they would not be in any way, in any way, criticized as far as their, as far as their religion is concerned. It's amazing how it was so easily adopted in other countries, including the United States of America, in some degree now, but. I am really amazed that this issue has not been raised by the Christian community in relationship to the Communications Bill. For instance, just let me read you one section that is concerned here as to why we have this concern. It is in section 9 um, of the, of the uh, Bill, and especially uh, point 3 and I'll just read a portion of it. We'll look at it more in detail if Mr. Marie comes because I'm hoping to have his legal expertise on this. It says, in developing codes, I'm reading now from the bill, in developing codes of practice relating to matters referred to in subsection two, attitudes of person in the Bahamas relating to the following matters will be taken into account. And then it talks about A, the portrayal in programs. Of physical and psychological violence, sexual conduct and nudity, the use of drugs, including alcohol and tobacco. And now here is the portion, the clause that I'm concerned with. And for matter that is likely to incite or perpetuate hatred against or vilifies any person or group on the basis of ethnicity nationality, race, gender. Now here is a clause that has been inserted in recent documents. Sexual preferences, age, religion of physical or mental disability. The troubling one, and some of others have little problems, but the major problem here is inclusion of this term, sexual preference. What in the world does that mean? And what does it mean to incite or to vilify? Those are the things we want to talk about. This has, my friends, as I said, tremendous implications to free speech and also to religious liberty. It, is, it has the potential of making it impossible for a Christian to read from Romans 1 or passages in Deuteronomy that condemns homosexuality. Without it being criminal offence. In fact, I've just had a note here from one place in in in, uh, in, United, in United Kingdom that has passed this law. Although they put in a a, a a clause now to to eliminate some of it, but the point is this: a church has actually been fined for putting an ad out quoting the scriptures in Deuteronomy that homosexuality is in the, is, is wrong in the sight of God they were cited as being indecent by the courts for quoting the word of god my friends what i'm saying here if we don't be if we are not alert and be keenly aware of what's going on this communications bill which is which is already in force could become a real problem here especially when it comes to the homosexual community now Again, as I said, I'm hoping we can discuss this, because I think this is just as, well, almost as important anyway as the uh, the Sexual Offense Act. And we hope to be able to discuss this with Mr. Rhee if he is able to make it. But it's time for the news right now. We're going to take our break, and then we'll come right back, and the numbers will be given to you at that time as well.
0: EC, E.C.B., E.C., ECB, Excellence in Christian race.
1: Okay, we are back, and uh, we are discussing the Communications Bill of 2009. And um, we are going to give you the numbers now. Um, You can call in with your questions or comments, either on this bill or on the proposed amendment to the sexual um, uh, abuse bill, violent sexual... uh, what is it called? I'm getting a little confused here. You, You know the one I'm referring to the sexual offense bill. Um, our numbers here are 3227846 that's 3227846 or 3260800 that's 3260800 please feel free to call and ask your questions or make comments on either of these bills: sexual offense amendment or the communications bill of 2009 and that's the one I'm concerned with right now because as I said I think we have spoken quite a bit about the sexual offense proposed amendment Uh, and I don't think we put enough focus on this communications bill which is already in effect but I think we still need to be aware of the potential difficulties problems of this bill especially to the Christian community now I am referring especially here to this bill and It refers in section 9 to developing codes of practice relating to matters referred to in subsection 2, attitudes of persons in the Bahamas relating to the following matters will be taken into account, a, the portrayal in programs of physical and psychological violence, 2, sexual conduct and nudity, the use of drugs including alcohol and tobacco, and matter that is likely to incite or perpetuate hatred against or vilifies any person or group on the basis of ethnicity, nationality, race, gender, sexual preference, age, religion, or physical or mental disability. Uh, that should be concerned about. I think we have our first call. Hello, you on ECB? Hello, Valerie. Yes,
2: I just want to commend you on the time you take to to produce this thing, this uh, bill. And I want to thank you for the Lord for allowing you the knowledge that you have in the scriptures to bring it to us and to clarify a lot of things. I will pray that the Lord will continue to bless you in his efforts.
1: Well, praise the Lord. I thank you for that very much. Continue to pray for us, my brother. I will do that. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. I appreciate that very much. I think these issues are important to us. And I also believe it's important for us as believers to take this opportunity to be able to have our voices heard in a secular society. See, we are living in a very difficult time as far as Christians are concerned now. And believe it or not, we're becoming a minority. And we have to understand now that we are living in a secular society, in secular meaning that God is being left out of everyday life. People might profess to believe in the existence of God, but he's far out there. He has nothing to do with the personal life. And we say that shouldn't be. Now here is one of my concerns with this. And uh, as I said we are waiting for uh, a special guest, Mr. Brian Marie. Uh, and I understand he's on his way. But one of my concerns with this is the inclusion of this word, sexual preference. Now, that was, those words were not generally in this kind of a document. And in fact, I called the Attorney General's office here to speak about this and ask what it meant. And uh, there was a little when I asked, what does sexual preference mean? And after a little flubbering around and talking, it came to, actually, it was meant specifically to refer to the gay community. Uh, I says, why would, didn't we say that in the first place? Well, you know, they couldn't, we just couldn't come out right way and say you are gay. Because, look, look listen, to, look at it from a logical point of view. Sexual preference, what does that mean? Does it mean that I cannot condemn a pedophile for wanting to have sex with a child? That's what this gives the opportunity in the, and, and, and to do. We cannot in any way say anything, will or say anything against a person for sexual preference. Now what about people who want to have sex? Now I'm going to be extremely just to make a point. Have sex with animals. Do we have to say that's okay? Have a sex with a child, a pedophile. Can't we criticize and condemn these behaviors? See the bill here doesn't make sense because we know there's something else behind it. And we'll talk about this in a moment. Hello, you on ECB? Put
2: it right Good morning. Good afternoon, sir.
1: Good afternoon.
2: I just want to say that I'm deeply distressed on where the nation is going. And um, by and large, when this bill was debated in Parliament, I don't remember them ever, and I covered them quite clearly. I don't remember them ever mentioning this, probably because of fear of what the public would have said i don't know if you remember i'm talking about
1: well, i didn't i i didn't really that's my point i, I i'm trying to find out how we all missed this. myself i had to actually go look for this no, 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 because I was, I, said, doing, I was doing the
2: first bill in 1991, or two Nin,
1: 1991 and then 2000 as well i think
2: right and i and i see what is happening here what is happening is that we have uh nations that are european more European, in of. Uh, European and, uh, United, and other nations that are United Nations in particular, but mainly Europeans are targeting nations like the Bahamas.
1: That's right. And um, uh, trying to get us to gradually strip away.
2: Um, our moral restraint, and right. I think that um, you know the Bible clearly states in the Revelation that eventually in the last days these things would be tied to economic matters. You're not are not able to buy or sell it except you do such and
1: such. Yeah, I think that that's that's what's happening here. Well, there's no doubt we headed in that direction. It has to do with what they call globalization, one world. Not only one world government, but one world religion and one world moral code as mores if it were This
2: is exactly what happened in America. And now, uh, you know, the, the, the bills are so watered down over there that the militant homosexuals are now, I, I don't know if there's any turning back for that nation anymore. Mm-hmm. I think we still have a chance. But I, my question is, uh, what could we do? Can that, can that be an
1: amendment to this bill? Yeah, that's that exactly right. We, I think we need to know for sure exactly what is, at, what is at stake here, and then we need to have our voices made. Yes, it could be amendment, the same way we have them right now trying to amend the Sexual Offense Act. Right.
2: No, what I'm saying, both of them need to be looked at. I mean, uh, when uh, your attorney comes on, Mr. Marie, who is well, well respected, uh, perhaps you could ask him what i uh, our redress. for well, the I will. Because, I mean these things are being passed without the public being able to have their say and I think the people who are passing the laws know exactly what the
1: public would have said. Well of course as you recall that happened also when when they removed when they dealt with sodomy as well. Of course they, that's my point. They and did I'm it in the same fashion. Stuck
2: with the bill. And ever since that law was passed by the way I noticed that you are seeing a lot of them around the place now more casual. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that these laws have a deluding and elitrous effect on society.
1: Well, that's one. I believe that is one of the whole uh, intention and purpose behind some of these things. There's no doubt about that at all. If so, you see uh, the overall perspective.
2: More, ask Mr. Marie, would, the, would redress the public has because they are affecting us. And we cannot just tolerate, I mean, this is what has happened to America. The Christians were rammed into a corner by, by the, the, some militant judges, etc., who are passing laws. And they have no
1: redress. And so I want to know what is the redress for us. Right. We well, come. I, I, I certainly will ask him that when he comes in, and I hope he comes shortly. Yes, but you know, from my perspective, they uh, with this, take the sexual offense bill. They're supposed to have town meetings and all of that. All I'm saying to those of you who are Christians who have a concern with that, with that particular issue, make sure you're there and to voice. Your opinions on it yes, sir, that's and to do it to important. do it in a will do so. right and but do it in a very respectful and a christian like manner
2: so I, we got to make I a difference the spirit we, of god is speaking through you know you would have you'll have a great
1: impact
2: and I, that, that is no no doubt at all and we appreciate what you're doing we, we, we pray god bless your efforts and i love your message yesterday on contending for the faith this i guess is a part of that
1: well that's true yes, sir. that's my concern thank you for your call appreciate it very much yes sir okay Okay, that's, uh, but I want to underline uh, his concern because that's mine as well. We can make a difference. The believers are salt of the earth and the light of the world. But if we don't rub the salt into the areas where it's needed, then there will be no change, no preservation if you want. And uh, that's why I'm saying our voices must be heard. But I want to underline it must be done in an in a orderly fashion, in a decent manner, in a Christ-like manner not in a rowdy way, not in an aggressive manner, but in a way that nonetheless shows our firmness and conviction that we need to be sure that we are obeying God rather than man and so on. So that's important. So with this one, this is my concern because this bill, in my opinion, has all kinds of problems related to it, if it just stays there. Now when I spoke to the office, Attorney General Office, they said well we have to be alert we have to be aware and watch what's happening. And I agree with that. But my gracious, why do we have to include a phrase in a law and then say now we have to watch out how it's applied? It, it just seems to be a little working backwards here. But I believe if we don't deal with this properly here, because you see, we have to understand the disagreement is not the same as hatred. If we voice a disagreement, that doesn't mean we hate the person. Are we inciting someone to violence because we say we believe something is wrong? If I say that murder is wrong, is that showing hate toward the murderer? Am I inciting that person to commit more violence? Of course not. But that's the kind of logic that is used here. It says, matter that is likely to incite or perpetuate hatred against or vilifies Anyone concerning their sexual preference. So that means my mouth has to be shut to the pedophile, to the person who abuses children. I will have to shut my mouth because I might be inciting them to violence or I could be showing hatred. And if I don't watch out, I could end up in jail. In fact, as I mentioned, that has happened. But you see, there's some dangers here. Uh, This contend. It's possible and I want to be very careful here, some are even more strong here, but it has the potentiality of restricting free speech. In other words, if we don't watch it, it could become a criminal offense. In fact, with this law right now, it's possible to be a criminal offense to publicly express the religious belief that homosexuality or pedophile pedophile activity is morally wrong. We would not be able to say that. We would not be able to say it is morally wrong for a person to abuse a child. Because that's your choice. That's your sexual preference. That means that Christian preachers, evangelists, anyone who reads or studies the scriptures or proclaims it could be affected. I believe that this law can can also confuse, as I mentioned before, disagreement with hatred. We could confuse disagreement with hatred. Free speech, I believe, involves the freedom to disagree with others. But this proposed law here, not proposed, it is law by what I understand and uh, distinguished guest has just arrived so he's going to get me straightened out with a lot of this stuff. I believe that this this law here could actually classify disagreement as hatred or the intention to incite towards violence. Reasonable statements of Christian belief are often characterized as hatred by people who strongly disagree with them. In a democratic society in which we live, we should be free to express disagreement without fear or censure from the government. And I'm afraid, here, that this uh, particular law could pose a problem for us as preachers of the word and Christians in general. Well, let me stop for a while because I want to welcome our specially invited guest and a privileged guest here. Uh, I I so appreciate him taking his time out because he's he's an extremely busy man. Uh, Mr. Brian Marie with McKinney Bancroft and Hughes, he's the senior partner there. As you know, that uh, law firm there is uh, one of the real uh, outstanding law firms here. And Mr. Marie himself is an outstanding Christian uh, and a teacher of our dull classes here at Calvary Bible Church as well. So I believe that he is both theologically as well as legally equipped to deal with some of these questions. Mr. Marie, so good to have you with us.
3: Thank you very much, Pastor Lee. Uh, I'm sorry I'm a little late, but the traffic in the Bahamas uh, particularly at 5 o'clock is very difficult. Uh,
1: yeah, I understand that. I just appreciate you being here, so I want to give you as much time as we can. Now, I'm talking at this particular time uh, concerning the um, Communications Bill. And I just wonder if you can tell me what is your opinion of that. My, my, one of my major concerns is inclusion of that word there, sexual preference. Can you share with me, uh, from your perspective, both from a legal point of view and a theological point of view, the impact that might have on the Christian and the church in general? Now, j-
3: just for a point of reference, which section are you looking at? I'm
1: in nine. Uh, I think it's nine. Let me make sure. Yeah, section nine, and it's part uh, three. Th- Is it part three? three? That's right. Three, that's it. hmm. Where mm-hmm. it says, For they will have responsibility in developing codes of practice relating to matters referred to in subsection two. That has to do with the different media attitudes of persons in the Bahamas relating to the following matters will be taken into account: the portrayal of in programs, and then they describe uh, physical and psychological violence, sexual conduct and nudity, the use of drugs, including alcohol and tobacco, and then number four under that section. And says, matter that is likely to incite or perpetuate hatred against or vilifies any person or group on the basis of ethnicity, nationality, race, gender, sexual preference, age, religion, or physical or mental disability.
3: Well, now, we've got, and, and unfortunately, we should have done this off here, but my version of the bill actually doesn't have that as Section 9. Um, so, I'm not saying it's not in here somewhere. I took it off the web. But I, I'm sure I'm sure See, The you're Communications right. Bill 2009. Yeah, let, let me just cross-reference it with mine, but in the meantime, I, I, let me speak to the point generally.
1: But that's an important, I hope we could clear, uh, clear it out. In fact, as I said, I called the Attorney General's office and spoke directly to the Attorney General, and we read that sections together. In fact, he himself directed me to it because he knew that that's what
3: I would be interested in. Well, actually, I think, I think um, I can probably, I can probably cross-reference it in, in the one that I have. Um, in, the the, the numbers might change or something. Yeah, uh, the section in my in in my version of the bill, um, which, as you have said, has been passed now by both houses of parliament. Right. So it's simply waiting to be gazetted. Um, now, the best information gazetted
1: means that's
3: like. Well, I think in plain, in plain English, bring that law into effect. In fact. The, the gazetting is something which is known, which really refers to the publication of a notice in what is what is known as the gazette, which is the um, official uh, place to, to publish government notices. In, in addition to a number of the newspapers um, being defined as the gazette, there's also something known as the official gazette, which is a government publication, and that, is, that, that gazette contains all the new acts and, and all the new laws. And when, when a bill is passed in Parliament, it goes through the House of Assembly, then it goes to the Senate, and after it's passed in the Senate, it has to be sent to the Governor General for the Royal Assent. The Royal Assent. And then... I was reading about that last night. Right, right. It's a, it's a, it's quite a process. A, it's quite a process, and it's a reach back to uh, to the Westminster model of, right. of government right. that we've taken from Britain, um, and the fact that the Governor General is is the representative of the Queen, um, hence the reference to royal assent. Right. Uh, and then, in order for that law to become actually effective, the government has to publish what's known as the appointed day, which is simply a notice in the Gazette um, stating that as of a certain day. Which is known as the appointed day, this act will become effective. Now, the best information that we have at the moment is the following: the Communications Act of 2009 um, is scheduled to come into effect on the first of September of this year, uh, and that's that's um, that information is was obtained from the Cabinet Office. And so, all things being equal, unless there's some change in that. This Communications Act will, will become law um, as of the first of next month. First of September? First of September. Okay. It, it, the, the Communications Act itself is, is a part um, of a package of legislation containing three new statutes, which is primarily intended to achieve the following. It's, achieved, it, it's intended to regulate the telecommunications sector. It's a, it's intended to put in place a regime for liberalisation, and it's supposed to facilitate the privatisation of, of BTC. Um, so the the other two statutes that are part of that package is is a, is a bill called the Utilities Regulation and Competition Authority Act mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of 2009. That's going to be the new regulator. And the acronym for that is OCCA. OCCA, right. Now, right. now the best information that we have available on that statute is that that became law on, on the 1st of August. 1st of
1: August. I got them switched around then. Right. So th- th- that became on August the 1st, and then this one
3: will become on September the that, 1st. That's the information that okay. the cabinet office has released. I sort of twisted them around. I thought it was the other way around. So now, for those of you who are f- familiar with the, with the regulatory regime, we used to have something called the PUC the Public Utilities Commission, and that used to be the lead regulator. As of the first of August, that commission no longer exists. Not at all. Not at all. It has been replaced by URCA. URCA. Right, which is the Utilities Regulation and Competition Authority Act. And as of the first of August, URCA has now assumed full regulatory authority for this sector. And then there was a third statute um, in that package called the Utilities Appeal Tribunal Bill. These three uh, bills together, the Communications Bill, the Utilities Regulation and Competition Authority Bill, and the Utilities Appeal Tribunal Bill, all dealt with by Parliament together, passed by both Houses of, of Parliament, and and waiting to get the Royal Assent and and for the appointed day to be published. Um, so that's just the general background. the 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 overall purpose was to really put in place a new regime to regulate the telecommunications sector. Now, having the- regard to the liberalization of that sector, and the privatization of that sector in terms of BTC. Mm -hmm. Okay, so
1: what about, was it because of any uh, encouragement from the United Nations or anything like that?
3: Well, I mean, there certainly um, was external pressure for us to privatize our telecommunication sector Mm -hmm. and to liberalize it, absolutely. Mm -hmm. There are lots of external agencies that that have been pressing this for many years. And in fact, we, we are behind schedule. Um, so so like, like a large, a significant amount of our domestic law today is influenced by external forces. Right. International treaties, international organizations, um, sometimes organizations that we get funding from, sometimes treaties that we have to sign in order to be a part of the international community. Uh, sometimes um, to do with, with specific agreements and treaties that we signed, for instance, the recent um, economic partnership agreement with the European Union, which is known as the EPA, uh, there were specific provisions in in that agreement relating to uh, the introduction of competition law
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, in the Bahamas, which we don't have at the moment, and that has to be done within the next five years. Um, Also, there were specific provisions about introducing some competition law into the telecommunications sector So, so uh, a fair number of of legislative initiatives are being influenced by external factors. External factors. Okay,
1: um, two questions uh, in relation to the specific uh, section that I that I pointed out to you. One caller has already asked if uh, what can we do to change it since it's already law or almost law anyway. But before that, I wonder if you, before answering that, I wonder if you can share with, with us what you think might be some of the practical effects or impact of this law uh, to us, as far as free speech, freedom of religion, and all of that is concerned.
3: Well, I think I think they are only limited, and that's not to say they're not important. But if you look at, at specifically the Communications Act or if you look at the, the whole package of, of legislation, the three acts that I've mentioned, only, I, I think, a relatively small number of sections directly impact the, the, the overall issue of freedom right. of speech. Right. Uh, a lot of the statute is very technical, um, and as I say, relates more to liberalization um, than than to free speech itself. But you have focused on... Um, one of those provisions, which, which is quite controversial and is quite important. In my version um, of, the, of the act, it's, it's section 53, okay. um, and actually I, I, I've noticed the, the version that you got from the webpage uh, is slightly different to my version, which I believe was the latest.
1: Yours? Yeah, I think so. Well, because I, uh, well, that'll be a little strange to me, uh, Mr. Marie, because as I said, I actually spoke directly to the AG. And we went to that section together, and
3: that's the one I focused on. Well, the section, and we don't want to get off. Oh, the wording, the wording too, I mean. Yeah, I, I don't want to make too much of this point because there are minor differences. The section that you're, you're relying on is definitely in the act. Okay. Right, there's no question. Okay. In, in your version, it's section 54. In my version, it's section 53. Okay. All right, but but it is here. So your point is is not by any means misplaced. Um, in, in, in your version that you got off the webpage, There's a there's at least one subsection, which probably isn't that important, which is in your version and not in my version. All right? For instance, section fifty four, subsection three, and subparagraph little C. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, that particular subparagraph C is not in my version but But such other matters
1: relating to programming content as are of concern to the community.
3: Yeah, that is out of my version. Now, as I said, we don't want to get our listeners too involved in the, in the technical stuff because they don't have a copy of this bill in front of them. Right. So I think we, we can leave the point at, at, this, That's at fine. this stage. Right. W- w- your concerns about this section are absolutely valid. The section is absolutely in the act, and the issue is a live one. Um, we would just caution our listeners uh, that we, we all need to make sure, including me and you, that, that if we are looking at the act itself that we get the latest version. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may well be your version is later than mine. I, I will check that tomorrow. Uh, but I don't think it, it affects our debate this afternoon. So picking up your general question, um, th- this is a matter which was specifically discussed during one of the town meetings. I don't know if you followed that. But they did have well, some... Unfortunately
1: I didn't because I, as I said it sort of came from a blind side when I saw it.
3: Oh uh, yeah. Well it, I only say that because uh, it, I'll at least be able to to indicate what the the authorities themselves said about this section, and then of course we got to look at what it actually says right. and see if it's the same thing. But but the concern that is being expressed um, was expressed during one of the public meetings, uh, when a number of the persons in the audience indicated the the precise concern that you have articulated. Is this going to affect? Um, or free speech is this going to affect uh, persons who, who and they specifically referenced um, ministers of the gospel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who who might take a certain position on say homosexuality, gender, you know, and and who might say that that as they understand the Bible, the Bible speaks against this and, and express views which are contrary to it. Um, whether that could 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 actually fall a of this section um, and what was said by way of summary was by the persons there, I think it was Mr. Simonet, Michael Simonet was one of the speakers, who at that time I think was the executive director of the PUC. Um, The the point was made that that under this section, URCA is going to have to develop a code um, of practice relating to content of material. That's going to be developed in consultation with the public is not going to be developed in the back room anywhere. <clears throat> and ultimately it will it will affect what what they say is the objective implementation of this policy, based not on some whimsical response or discretion, but on a particular code that is developed after consultation. Right. Now <clears throat> I think all of that is useful and one can get a little reassurance from it, but it doesn't specifically address the main concern as to whether somebody could read this section and try to use it as a weapon against persons preaching in the pulpit you know about But I know it's being done right now in England
1: and Canada, I have uh, in fact uh, I'm sure you're aware of it, in England there's been a big battle going on recently and finally they had to put an amendment in and uh, we might have to have you come back, I want to go in more detail here but this is what the amendment said uh, this is after quite a long time of, of uh, battling in the house to, to comments to, 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 have, to be protected from what we're saying. Here, for instance, with, with the gesture of the word sexual preference, what does that mean? That means we cannot condemn pedophiles, for instance, because their choice of sex well, is let, let's
3: Well, let's read Read. section. I know se- there are other section. sections to deal with that. It, it, it says, but, but, but here's, here's which, uh, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but here's the point. It's not just a matter of condemning or not condemning. What it says is that you, you can't use language which is likely to incite. Incite. But that's the problem, you see, because it just
1: sometimes just to differ from you or someone else in an opinion, I get incite. Here, here's what the amendment, I want to read this and then show it before we go off. This is, the amendment came, they call it the free speech amendment that uh, was attached to a law very similar to this. And this is in, in which country? In this England? is in UK. The UK. The amendment says, and I'm quoting now: "For the avoiding, for the avoidance of doubt, the discussion or criticism of sexual conduct or practices, or the urging of persons to refrain from, or modify such conduct or practices, shall not be taken of itself to be threatening or intended to stir up hatred." They included that in there in order to make sure that we,
3: very that we didn't get in that problem. Yeah, Well, I think that's very instructive um, because th- the, these words for the avoidance of doubt uh, is, a, is a formula of words that a parliamentary draftsman uses oftentimes right. when he's trying to say, the section doesn't really mean this. Exactly. But just to make sure that nobody thinks that it means this, we're specifying and then it goes on to say what it, what it, what it wants to do now the mere inclusion of of such a provision would would suggest i think to any reasonable person that the section in its original form was at least ambiguous and it was at least arguable hence the words for the avoidance of doubt right right that without this rider it might be argued that such statements concerning um, sexual preference or not continuing to conduct oneself in a certain way it might be argued that that, that would be a breach of this provision and and would not be allowed. Right. Um, well, so I think Vasta I think, that's very instructive. I'm um, going to give you some other examples where some policemen have read it
1: wrong and actually went to a, a person who was speaking and said that it's against the law to say anything That will that will offend homosexuals because you're inciting them to uh, violence or hatred or anything, and they came up with this thing. Says when is a law not a law? A law is not a law when it's enforced by policemen who believe it's a law. (laughs) Easy. I think we can take a break and then we'll come right back. Uh, Our numbers here. We we really would love to have you calling in and take advantage of this rare opportunity to ask questions of. person who's really qualified in both the legal and theological areas to answer your questions in these particular uh, areas. Three two two seven eight four six, three two two seven eight four six, or three two six zero We'll be right back. Easy,
0: easy Easy, easy Excellence in Christian religion.
1: Okay, we're back, and as I said, we have the pleasure of having with us today Mr. Brian Marie of McKinney, Bancroft and & Hughes, and he's here to help us to deal with these very important issues. Uh, you on ECB. Hello. Good day, Pastor Lee. How are you doing, sir? I- I'm good. How are you? And good afternoon
0: to uh, Attorney Marie.
3: Good afternoon.
0: I have a very um, troubling question to ask, um, which I believe is the basis for, as I understand it, what the country is now dealing with. The, uh, I was made to understand um, that in the Sexual Offences Bill, uh, 19 July 29, 1991, that in that in the in the in the structuring of that bill, that act rather, that marriage is not specified, clearly defined as a holy. Union between a male and a female Some uh, someone read section of it yesterday Uh, Are you aware of that as well attorney Marie? Uh,
3: Not really. I I have the act in front of me But I I wasn't uh, aware and I must say I'd have to look at it a little more carefully But I wasn't aware of any definition of marriage That is that is in that act, but but you know, can you, can you refer me to something more specific?
0: Well, um, my, my, my reason for calling today um, is in respect to the preamble of our country's constitution. A lot of people or lawyers seem to want to, and of course, no disrespect to your profession, sir, <laughs> seem to want to divorce the preamble from the body of the constitution because, as I believe, the preamble refers to Christian values. You're absolutely right. Okay. Now, that being said, is it not, is it not, uh, Attorney Marie, that uh, any law that is passed in Parliament that goes contrary to God's clear-cut established values, slash Christian values, is a, an, an illegal act of Parliament?
3: You know, I, I don't think you can put it that high. And let me give you what is the most common example. All right. Um, according to Christian traditional values, yes, you know, adultery is is a sin and is wrong. Yes. But nobody's suggesting that adultery is a crime. Yes. All right. Um, one could say that about fornication. Right. So exactly. I think it's putting it too high to suggest that, that all of the Christian, any law which is contrary to what we would regard as consistent with the normal traditional values right. of of the Christian faith is an illegal act i, I, I think that 's putting it too yeah. high. Mm-hmm. What I think the preamble is intending to do uh-huh. uh, and you 've got to remember that that the preamble is not the constitution itself it doesn 't have the same force right. but it is exactly what it says it 's a preamble which seeks to put the Constitution in some sort of context right. and and clearly. What it says, for anyone who wants to read it, is that in approaching law making and in establishing the the provisions of our Constitution, we do it in a background of what it calls a Christian nation, subscribing to Christian values. It doesn't mean that that incorporates the Bible, you know, as a code of conduct, which if you breach it, you would have committed a secular crime. It doesn't mean that at all.
1: I think it's important to um, make that distinction.
3: Does that make sense? you hear what I'm saying? And I,
0: I accept what um, Attorney Marie said, but what I'm just trying to, uh, to clearly understand here, I'm not talking about persons or individuals per se being guilty of committing a crime per se uh, if, if indeed you know, the preamble of our Constitution, quote-unquote, were violated. What I'm referring to is the drafting of laws by parliamentarians if whatever laws they draft if they are not in keeping with the judeo-christian attitude uh, of our constitution's preamble is that parliamentarians are they or can they be seen as being guilty of a crime that's constitutionally speaking that's what i'm trying to understand
3: well i mean two two quick points you you're you're quite right to to understand that the supreme law of the country is the Constitution. Yes, sir. Anything, any law which is enacted, which is contrary to the Constitution, is an unconstitutional law. It would be what we call ultra vires the Constitution, and it would be struck down by a court. Okay. All right? But now remember what I said. I didn't say any law inconsistent with Christian values. Mm. But, what I said is that any law that is inconsistent with the Constitution... Is, 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 is a bad law and would be, would be overturned as unconstitutional now, to move to your second point, does that mean that any law which we enact which is inconsistent with Christian values you know is, is either unconstitutional or as a crime? I think the answer to that is no again. Take, for instance, our liquor licensing laws. Mm-hmm. There are lots of Christian people who believe that the Bible speaks against drinking right. So to enact a law which allows somebody to sell liquor could be argued, be uncon- argued yeah. as against Christian values. Good. But, but clearly, that's not against the Constitution.
1: Okay, good. Listen, thanks for your question. I appreciate that. We have another one I have to get to. But you know, in discussing this, Brian, it reminds me of something I think one of the founders of the United States said that their Constitution can only be strictly followed by Christians. I think he actually said that. Anyway, that's another story. Hello, you on ECB. Thanks for calling, talking it through biblically. Hello, Pastor Lee. Hi.
2: Yes, good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon.
2: I am so happy to have this privilege to ask this question of you. I wanted to do it on the secular radio show, but I could never get through. I am from a church where I have known of women who have died from age, whose husbands, some of them claim to have been Christian men, Mm-hmm. had an affair, got infected, and came home and forced themselves on their wives. And I've heard a lot of ranting and raving from so-called Christian men and pastors who was claiming that this bill is unconstitutional, this bill is against the Bible and all of that. Not only do I believe that these men who did this to their wives should be charged with rape, I believe they should be charged with murder. Because these wives are in the
1: grave. I'll hang up and listen to your comments. Thank you. Well, I am sure that many men do uh, criminal um, acts, and uh, I'm sure that they do it with wives as well. And, of course, I believe that any criminal activity should be punished, whether you're a Christian or not. I believe that. Uh, but, at the same time with this particular bill, I, I, the way it is written, I think, and the words used have to be very careful, uh, otherwise we could, um, in my opinion, um, um, we, we could reflect negatively upon the very core and essence of marriage. However, I want to be clear now, I believe that the law is for lawbreakers. Those of Those individuals, including Christians, who love their wives and care for them in the way they should, shouldn't be concerned with this. It's only for those who break the law. But we have to be sure, even in that case, that those who break the law are dealt with in a proper fashion, which is in keeping with our Constitution. Okay, uh, do we have another call? No, that's it? Okay.
3: Uh,
1: Brian, were you anything else you want to say
3: here? Uh, well, I, I guess, stay just for a moment on the Sexual Offences Act mm-hmm. before we come back to the Communications Act. You know the law. The law recognises something which is called conjugal rights, <clears throat> and, and that's a term which some of our listeners may be familiar with. That right. that that is a is a is a set of rights, which are attributed to marriage. You know, and and both parties to a marriage have certain conjugal rights which the law recognises. Um, now, amongst those conjugal rights, you know, does include um, sexual intercourse with your spouse, um, but but nowhere. In 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 the in the secular law, which I must say was at least in its in its genesis derived from the ecclesiastical courts, going all the way back. Right. Mm-hmm. Nowhere does it say that you can you can take those conjugal rights, um, you know, through abuse um, or or through forcing yourself upon the partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, when, when when one talks about just looking at the secular position for a moment dogs talks, talks about you know, the right of a husband or the right of a wife to engage in, in, in you know, the act of, of sexual intercourse with their spouse. Uh, the, the law recognizes that, that that's a part of the conjugal rights which come into, comes into existence. But it, like other rights, you, you can't, you can't I- enforce Force those them, rights right. to the point
1: well, I mean, of they, beating or
3: battering your partner in the same way that if I have a house and I'm selling it to you and we have a contract and you're going to buy my house and I decide to renege and I don't want to sell you my house right there's no question that you have the right to enforce that contract all things being equal but you can't come over to me and hit me with a baseball bat right, right. you know and say I'm going to take me my legal rights. means of and, doing and it. I'm going to make you sign this contract you know and I'm going to hit you with a baseball bat to do it. Well, let me carry your illustration to an uh, extreme maybe
1: A man marries a woman; they have a license, legal license. Now, what is a
3: legal license supposed to give you? A marriage license. Yeah. Why does it have to be legalized? Well, I I think the reason for that, you know, is that it it, again in, in the in the in the secular law, right? You have to comply with certain prerequisites in order to be married, and the license is evidence that you have complied with the correct procedure that your marriage is being presided over by a licensed marriage officer okay. right and that you've, you've done all the things that you have to do so does not imply that you
1: it. now you have the license to have sexual relations with your spouse and it would not be regarded as being immoral or illegal
3: well I know I'm not sure I would myself say that that arises from the license the piece of paper but that's what i think it arises from i think it arises from the fact that you are married remember the license is just evidence of that does it give you
1: the right to have children and they would not be seen as being
3: illegitimate within the context of marriage absolutely right if 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 you if you have children Within the context of marriage, the law would recognize those children so as In a one sense,
1: children. it sanctifies your children. To use a biblical word,
3: yes, I think it, it recognizes that that is the approved way in which a man and a woman is to come together sexually so it avoids, and to procreate,
1: and so it avoids immorality or fornication, as the
3: Bible says. I think that right. certainly would be correct. Right. But, but so I'm, well, sure.
1: well, I'm saying now: suppose are uh, with these conjugal rights that you talk about is is the sec- having sex with my wife. But So suppose, that, like you say, they don't agree. Do I then have the
3: right to go to the court and say she wouldn't have sex with me? Can you insist that she does? Well, you know, strangely enough, in in the law, you, there are a certain type of matrimonial proceedings which allows a party to enforce their conjugal rights.
1: Is there a... It's not used that. very much, yeah, I must yeah. say. It's
3: not used very much. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it would be subject to things like medical... Considerations right, exactly. and Those sorts. of That's
1: issues. why, during research on this, I found one country—I I, I, got to get the name—who rather than say that she, rather than say that she refused to have sex, mm-hmm. said that she was unable to have it. In that case, if they're forced, then it's a criminal offense. But the mm-hmm. word they used was not that she refused, but unable. But
3: unable. And I think that's an important distinction as well. Well, and, and it's also interesting to note, you know, just, just to, again, provide some context. In, in the context of matrimonial law, there's certain circumstances where you can get a marriage annulled. Mm-hmm. Right now, annulment is to be distinguished from divorce. Right. It's a different, different reason. Right. Uh, you know, and I think most of our listeners will appreciate that, that when you get it annulled, it really has the effect of never having been did, married at all. It didn't happen. Now, you know the most common ground for annulment? Non-consummation.
1: Right. Exactly.
3: Right? So, so, consummation, which is the legal term for sexual intercourse, is, is clearly accepted by the law as a way of, of, of actually consummating the marriage. marriage. Right. And if you've, if you've married a woman and they actually can are Can you go to the extreme and say that is not legally done until that happens? Well, you know, that's putting it in an interesting way. I, I, let's, I can answer it this way, <laughs> which may be slightly evasive, but I can answer it this way. If it never happens, you can apply to have it annulled,
1: right?
3: You know, and and if you could, it would be it, seen
1: as a divorce. It'd be seen precisely. An
3: it would be seen as an annulment. And there are cases in our in our common law, which which clearly um, deal with this subject, where you know two parties were married, and six seven months later there was no consummation, and one of the parties, I must say, normally it's the man, applies for an annulment, and and the the law has recognised that that is that is in those circumstances. Non-consummation, when you are able to consummate, is a ground for annulment. Mm, Interesting, interesting. Well,
1: we're running out of time here, and um, um, Mr. Marie, I hope you might find it in your schedule to come back some other time, because there are quite a number of questions related to the sexual amendment bill as well as to the uh,
3: communications bill. And if I just may say this, Pastor, well, first of all, I'm always happy to appear anywhere with you, <laughs> um, on a radio show or anywhere else. Um, y- uh, you know, you are my spiritual mentor, um, and it's, it's always enjoyable to look at these things with you. Coming back to your concern about Section 53, um, I just want to say in the last few minutes it, it, is, a, it is a very legitimate concern, and our people, our, our people should look at this. Do you have a caller? I have a caller. Okay. I've only got a couple of minutes. Let's Hello,
1: please it. be quick. we only got about two minutes.
0: Uh, two quick questions. Uh, well, one statement and one quick question.
1: Okay.
0: Talking about annulment, so I can kind of sum it up real quick. Uh, what about with the Catholic Church, they annul a marriage that has children involved. So obviously, consummation took place. And the other statement is, I was waiting to hear, in connection with you said, uh, the bill for the sexual preference, whether it's in, in, in the area of understanding speciality or, or the perverts who are dealing with, with, with uh, immoral act with children and also um, just the homosexuality. He, he kind of went around with all of the other acts and didn't say anything. So if you, if within the last few minutes, if you can kind of touch that for us so we can understand it better.
3: Mr. Marie, you only got a few seconds. Okay, I'll have to be very quick. Um, section 53, subsection 3, subparagraph um, 4 does give a list of, of areas where OCA, as the regulator can seek to regulate through this code of practice. One of those things is sexual preference. All right, so with specific, and that clearly is a reference to, um, you know, the preferences of, of, of having sex with a man or with a woman or with anything else. That's what sexual preference means. So, arguably, in the, in the current form of this section, it might be suggested that if you were in the pulpit preaching against homosexuality, um, and indicating that this was not behaviour which which should be should be engaged in, that that it might be suggested that your language would quote incite or perpetuate hatred or vilify persons who are engaging in that kind of behaviour. And frankly, those ministers who preach that position would readily plead guilty mm-hmm. to that charge yeah. because they would say, "I'm not vilifying the person." i 'm not hating the person, but I am hating the conduct right. and I am vilifying the conduct, and I am saying that, that conduct should not be con- uh, continued or engaged in, so I think there's a legitimate concern here right. that while that may not be the intention all right that's not that 's not the only point because the law shouldn 't be a good law only if it 's being applied sensibly you 've got to look at it in case it gets in the hands of those persons who would wish to abuse it do you think
1: that uh, that uh, exception clause and that they've inserted in the English UK uh, bill might be a good idea.
3: I think it might be a very good idea. Right. And, and it would be a good test um, to, our, to our government and parliament to say if indeed you didn't intend to catch that kind of, of statement you should include this writer for the avoidance of doubt. Well, I think that's the direction
1: we're going to encourage our listeners to go. Um, I'm sorry we have to cut it off right now, but we're already out of time. I want to thank you for tuning in to Talking It Through Biblically, and we will uh, resume this discussion at a later time. Thank you for tuning in. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila. think and act on these things.
0: Easy, easy be. Easy, easy be. Excellent and run